Alternative Play. Welcome to Alternative Play, a podcast that explores both the worlds of kink and gaming. No matter what your flavour of fun is, we talk about it all. The podcast where dragons are not the only thing happening in dungeons. So, tighten your restraints, sync your joysticks and controllers, and get ready for some fun and games. Welcome to Alternative Play. I'm JC, your host. For those of you who are new to the show, Alternative Play is a podcast where we introduce you to gamers and game designers who live alternative lifestyles or create game content within the kink communities. Alternative Play will cover topics that are adult in nature, so listener discretion is advised. I'm pleased to have on the show with us tonight two members of the kink and game communities, Mistress Clarissa and Brandon Osario. Mistress Clarissa is a life coach with a flogger. She's been in the alt scene for over 20 years, a popular predecessor, a public speaker, presenter, and teacher. And Brandon Giosario is best known for developing an exciting new style of tabletop gaming exemplified by The Dark Refuge, The Adventure Game, and The Time Shredders role-playing game. Since then, he has authored eight novels, including the philosophical science fantasy epic, God Swords, Saga of the Bladed Sun, and The Day the Earth Died, along with several Dark Refuge sourcebooks for Dark Refuge games. Welcome to the both of you. Hello, it's good to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Before we talk about BDSM Fetish the Game, a role-playing game which is designed to emphasize a safe, sane, and consensual adult role-playing experience, and our main topic, the importance of consent in adult role-playing, Let's get to know more about our guests. So, Mistress Clarissa, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I've been in this in this scene for a very, very long time, and I do a lot of focus with individuals to integrate who they are personally and publicly and to reconcile that with their fetishes and that other part of themselves. So it's it's not just about fun. It's about also becoming a better person, a more integrated person, a more a, a happier person, instead of having these thoughts and thinking, hey, I'm a bad person because I like to cross-dress. Well, that's silly. Now we go into why, we go into the how, we make this person feel supported and explore their that, that side of them. So when they come out the other side, they go one way and they come out a lot better. So they're able to go back into their normal vanilla lives as a much happier more integrated individual. So I'd like to say I'm saving the world one person at a time. And on top of that, I do a lot of teaching about uh, various things like breath control and and uh, anything from mundane BDSM to the more extreme BDSM in a way that is much safer and really uh, tries to get across practical ways of doing these things in a very safe, sane, informed, enthusiastic, consensual way. We can't have oopsies because oopsies not only leave damage, but also make our community look poor. And we don't want that. We've got to fight against stigmas and, and bad information and people who are coming from a very nefarious place and look at us as the enemy. 
That, that's awesome. I mean, if I had a dollar for, I think, every dom who didn't provide aftercare for yes. their submissive, it's, yes. you know, it's it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, they just let them let them go and walk the other direction. Yeah. And obviously there's, yep, there's just, just there's uh, definitely a lot of problems with that. Yeah. So um, how do you do your outreach? Like, how do you how do you educate the masses on this? Well, I do have social media, but that really is an offshoot of a lot of the uh, one-to-one. I've done stuff with uh, Tess, Iron Bell, uh, Leather and Roses on Long Island, and different uh, orgs within the BDSM community, as Dom Sub Friends, and uh, I, I am a popular presenter. For that plus I've done a lot of interviews a lot of vanilla interviews I'm sort of like the pollination cross-pollination point because I am well aware of how this community also is affected by the outside world so I try to make ways into the outside world to bring our particular way and, and helpful and humane way of going about things into the vanilla world and how we can apply it to our politics, to our everyday. And uh, does that make sense? And of course, the one-on-one, because they tell two friends and they tell two friends, or I should say they interact with the community and I'm part of their lives. I totally understand. And especially we are now in an age, movies like Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes, exactly. which now plunged the vanilla world into yeah. this idea of this of this great lifestyle, however, without any education on yes. how to do it. And if you go to any any adult store today, yeah. the the BDSM section, which actually had real stuff at one point, like you'd yeah. actually buy leather restraints, is all now filled with this like Velcro plasticky. Oh my gosh, yes. Hot topic-y stuff. Absolutely. And so I was looking at um, some floggers, you know, speaking of floggers, um, <laughs> and these things were made with out of plastic. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there going, this is going to hurt, especially if you give it to someone who doesn't know how to properly flog, properly know how to whip. All Hiking. they're going to do. Yeah, absolutely. So it's I think it's important what you're doing, because there is there's just been a lot, especially when you start getting media involved into mm-hmm. portraying a lifestyle or something like that, and suddenly people just go off on the wrong end of it. So Absolutely. this is definitely, yeah, I'm I'm totally happy that this is, there is a coffee shop in San Francisco that I'm not sure if you're familiar with called Wicked Grinds. No, I am not. So Wicked Grinds is a coffee shop. I think it's out on Folsom Street in San Francisco, but it is a <laughs> it is a BDSM, I wouldn't even call it a themed coffee shop because you can actually go there. They have equipment for sale. They also do classes. Actually, I, I support them on Patreon because what they do is if people go in and they can't afford to buy a cup of coffee, they will actually provide a cup of coffee for you. Oh, that is wonderful. And they do that. And they also provide their educational workshops through Patreon for people who, and I'm I'm a firm believer in education and coffee, so I definitely uh, donate money every month to their cause. Two great tastes that taste great together. Also, one more thing, when I was talking about cross-pollination, one of my favorite um, speaking gigs I've had was Freedom to Connect in D.C., basically Maryland, you know, saving costs. I was the only person with this background who's ever been there, a speaker. And 
the discussion basically is how porn and BDSM and alternative, all the not safe for work stuff is so important to the internet and platforms and communication in general. And these these are people on stage uh, who are sharing the stage with me and doing talks who are people like Vint Cerf, uh, he's from Google, and Alex Ohanian from Reddit, co-creator. Here we have all these vanilla peoples, the who's who of the internets, and I was able to discuss how important and how necessary people who are of our persuasion are to the freedom and the growth of the internet in a positive way, as opposed to a fascist way or a censorship way, we are easy targets for the, the theocratically bent and other various monsters who like to pretend they're moral and they pretend they're crusaders, but really what they're doing is they're harming the ecosystem. They're squashing technology. They're squashing communication by going after people like us. We're not the enemy. We're the ones who gave you VCR versus Betamax. We are the group that brings the vanillas to platforms. We bring the audience. We help create a, a language that we can all agree on because when literacy was not a thing a few hundred years ago, we had porn that everybody wanted to get into. So <laughs> like, oh, let me learn how to read. And on top of that, let's form a language we can all agree upon instead of everybody having their own way of writing a word. So you can look at people like us and the alternative crowd as we are the proponents of communication <laughs> and technology. So I was able to kind of bridge that gap. And I'm, I'm kind of very proud of that. That's wonderful. I mean, education is key. I admin a couple of BDSM groups and it gets annoying because you actually have the people there who are who have been in the lifestyle, who understand it and keep the talk to very serious topics, even going off topic, right? Because, you know, going into a group doesn't mean that's all we talk about. Uh -huh. But you end up with a lot of just uneducated vanillas yeah. or just yes. really scary kinksters who just pop yeah. in and make a mess of things. And ultimately, you're booting them because they yeah. don't want to play nice or suddenly they flood everyone's PM with dick pics, you know, so yeah. it's, um, it's just again, yeah, education is seriously important, because Otherwise, we're going to end up with a sub-community that mm -hmm. is really just going to run things the way they want to, which mm -hmm. is, well, what it, whatever. Now they can knock themselves out, but they're doing it very, you know, without any education. And yeah. it is hurting those yeah. who who actually participate and live the lifestyle on a 24-7 basis, or even yeah. those who would just live it when they can. It still yeah. kind of hurts that. I believe this is still based in symbiotic mutualism. Define that a little bit. Well, it we coexist in a way that we we help each other so like ants and aphids you have ants that literally farm aphids they take care of the aphids they they literally will pick these things up and move them to better parts of the stalk and in doing so the aphids give them the sap that they use to uh eat so okay. one benefits from the other it's not a versus it's not i take from you and you uh, wither and die. Instead, it's we strengthen each other. And it is found in nature all the time. Communities within nature and within that ecosystem thrive because they've helped each other. They're stronger. They can deal with more stuff. So from my point of view, this is what we should be doing. We should be mimicking this because it, it helps us. I practice this and it helps me thrive. It also helps me be safe. If the people around me, even the vanillas, 
if they benefit from my existence and the people who serve me, it means their stores, their restaurants, they get more from us. They get more money. We drop. We make sure that our neighbors are fed. If there's any problem within my neighborhood, somebody needs something, oh, we're right there. So when they see us, they know that good things are coming their way. We become a food source. So that means they're going to protect their food source. If there's any kind of what's up in the neighborhood, they're like, hey, heads up. So we actually protect ourselves that way. They want to make sure that they keep benefiting, I keep benefiting, we like each other. And this is not just people within the community. These are vanillas. Some who are aware of what I am and some who don't know what I do. I definitely agree with that. Whether you're in a DS relationship mm -hmm. where that is really important to have that power exchange, mm -hmm. you can also find that power exchange with vanillas who will pick up on a, on a dominance, yes. just kind of broadcast in a sense, yes. and actually feel safe within that because oh, hit so whether hard. they know it or not, and whether they know it or not, they are a submissive. Mm -hmm. It just hasn't been solidified in yes. a relationship, but Absolutely. no, I totally see what you're getting. Let's learn a couple of other things about you, and then we'll go over to Brandon. So I see here that there's a couple of things that really grab my interest is, well, first, let's start with furniture creation from non-traditional resources. Yes. Basically, I make furniture from what other people consider trash or um, like uh, cardboard that gets tossed away so much from, from various factories. They, they make so much of it, they just... It's overwhelming and they, they toss a lot of it. Technically, it can be recycled, but a lot of it um, doesn't even get to that point. Egg cartons, just everyday items. And in doing so, I can turn that into a super strong kind of paper mache. And by the way, paper mache was made into furniture a few hundred years ago. You can go to the Met and still see versions of paper mache furniture that is strong and still exists and was used as regular furniture, not some kid stuff. And then I use upcycled things such as leather gleaned from couches that people tossed. So this is leather. Something died and suffered to make that. There was a lot of waste involved whenever we're dealing with animal products. It harms the environment. And I can now, instead of leaving that in the trash where it's just going to get, well, turn into methane eventually... I use yeah. that. And then we have things like uh, discarded feathers that nature dropped. No harm has come to the animals, uh, the animal products that I use, if it's like feathers and whatnot. Um, I remove garbage from the environment and I have a product that is usable and really cool. And people are really shocked. What You, you made that out of what now? I've gotten tons of stuff from uh, various restaurants around here that just throw stuff up and the light the one of the latest things I've done is make a throne with a vertical garden on the back or I like to call a victory garden uh, during times of war our country had victory gardens something you don't see anymore and the government really um, expected the average citizen to grow food wherever they could use the the space that you have for as much as you can to give yourself food well, I did that with the throne. So on the back of the throne, everything growing there has been taken from cl garden clippings and uh, what we consider trash food, as in the tops of onions can be, you can grow tops of onions from, uh, from bits of onions, like the bottom where the roots are, and it will sprout a new onion. Sweet potato, these are everyday items that our grandparents used to grow. And we've somehow now thought of this as 
oh, we don't do that silly thing anymore, if anybody even knows about it. So now I'm trying to bring that back. I got it on the back of a throne that is made of upcycled and found objects with a slightly dotted twist. And only only humans make garbage. Everything else in nature is reused and no, absolutely. And that, that's great that you're taking things that would either clutter or just cause problems in general and just creating mm-hmm. something that's going to be useful and solid out of it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm happy to see like, so our state here in Connecticut recently, I think, outlawed plastic, or at least mm-hmm. to some point where if you want plastic, you're going to have to pay through the nose for yeah. it. So creating things that are useful, that people can enjoy, uh, whether it be furniture, art, mm-hmm. uh, by things that others would discard. that yeah. That's pretty amazing. We we can't, this is our only planet. And what kind of selfish being does that, like my wants right this second, matter much more than life itself? No, absolutely. And so and the other thing that I'm, I'm really fascinated because I love jewelry in mm-hmm. general. <laughs> uh, you mentioned custom jewelry design. Yes. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Well, I work in sterling silver and semi-precious along with uh, with copper, but I also do uh, a lot of integration of animal products, so cashmere, leather, things like that. And I upcycle that and add it to the sterling silver and the semi-precious like onyx and whatnot, because to me, they are as valuable. They have... Uh, they have been created by resources that I think is just horrible to just toss away. And I now have more resources altogether to create things like um, slave collars, people who are trans and they, they need maybe bigger or smaller things that they can't just go into a store and buy. If you are a trans woman, you might have a little bit of a larger neck. Yeah. Canes, things, oh, you know, fun and games, weapons of ass destruction. I hand make and I can make them elaborate and I I use more environmentally sound items to make them. So I try to live I try to practice what I preach, basically. And still be kinky. <laughs> <laughs> That's great though. I mean, honestly, I if anything, it kind of sounds like a lot of the stuff that you create is almost very tribal. Yeah, you could say that I I call that uh, apocalyptic. Because we are in the current apocalypse, just FYI. We are in the Anthropocene. Since the 70s, we've wiped out 60% of our uh, life forms. So we are in the uh, apocalypse. So why not try to rein it in, look fabulous, be fetishy, have a much better lifestyle? Awesome. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Let's go over to Brandon for a little bit and hear a little bit from him, and then we can get into today's topic. But no, that's awesome. And honestly... Uh, after this is over, I really want to take a look at you know what you've done for jewelry design because I just definitely. All right, so Brandon, yeah, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh well, um, I've been in the uh, tabletop industry for over 15 years at this point. Started with the Dark Refuge line of products back in 2012. I started working alongside a team that was developing a new company called Wisdom Vault. Uh, Wisdom Vault first started off as a place to try to find specifically artists, authors, poets who were 40 or over, who were had lived their entire lives, never really had an opportunity to expand on the creative stuff they were doing in private. And I wanted to help them bring that those creative items into the public forefront. And it was really quite surprising because when we started Wisdom Vault, we started with an amazing poet by the name of Ray Lamb um, and did some very adult poetry that he had created in a book called Bring the Song to Others. 
And after we released that, we were contacted by a bunch of authors who loved what we were doing, but were really frustrated by the fact that they felt we had an ageist limit on what we were doing. And they said, oh, well, you know, we'd love to work with you, but you know, you're saying people 40 or older. And in the case of one of the authors, uh, she was in her late 30s. And so we decided at that point to remove the age limitation on who we were working with, expand it out into much more, um, a whole bunch of different genres. And at that point, we brought on the Product Baby's first book of euphemisms as a humorous adult book that you could read in front of a child without the child having any idea anything adult is going on. And after releasing that product, we then moved on to BDSM Fetish the Game. And I've been very proud to work on this. It's really great to be able to have this opportunity to give people an adult role-playing experience that's safe, that's sane, that's consensual, that's designed to allow them to explore things they may not have explored before alongside people that they know, but at the same time have firm boundaries in it that keep them feeling safe when they walk out of that gaming session. Awesome. Yeah. So we're going to we're gonna talk about that. I have a ton of questions, or at least I really want to hear about what's going on. Let's just talk a little bit about some of the things that you're interested in. So I see Urban Spelunking. So please explain Urban Spelunking. It sounds cool. Well, it is really awesome. You know, my wife turned me on to this concept. And basically what you do is you head into areas where nature is reclaiming urban environments, areas of flooding, areas where um, there's been devastation, and you see the ways in which nature has retaken those areas, taking pictures of it, exploring those areas. It can be just as exciting as spelunking a cave, but in a certain way, there's other elements to it because so much of it is so unique. You're never going to find another location that's exactly like the location you're experiencing in that moment. That actually sounds like fun. And you've been doing it for a while or something that you've recently... Oh, for over 10 years. So even before we moved to Colorado, we used to do it in a place known as The Hole in New York, um, an area between Brooklyn and Queens where there was extensive flooding. And uh, we would contact people who either had property there and would let us do the urban spelunking on the property or scout out other locations. Very cool. On your list, I see here is video games. (laughs) So what are you playing and what do you like to do? PC, console? I love PC. I love console. Um, At the moment, my time is split fairly evenly between the new Marvel Spider-Man game, which I got to say, they they pulled off the web-slinging perfectly. It really feels like you're able to travel around that city in such a genuine way of Spider-Man. It's just fantastic. Uh, Splitting my time between that, um, the the Elder Scrolls online game, and uh, then also playing a couple of roguelikes, including um, Enter the Gungeon and... uh, That's one of the things I love about that overlap between the gaming community and the kink community. Um, So many of us have these other role-playing elements in our lives outside of whatever our our, uh, more mainstream role-playing is. And so it's so wonderful to see those moments when people take their creativity and begin bringing it back into that vanilla space to allow us to expand what we consider the socially acceptable things around us. Because so much of this is and should be socially acceptable because it's about consenting adults doing things with other people who want them to do it. Um, Video games are actually a great way to experience any stimulus. And I, I do love that aspect of the exploration because one of the things that most people go through in their kink journey is trying different aspects of kink to see what really speaks to their their inner self. And so being able to go into that walled garden experience, being able to go into that virtual experience and try all these things and be like, okay, this is fun in this fantasy sort of way, but actually doing it doesn't really turn me on the way I thought it would. But this other thing that I didn't realize is 
just the bee's knees now speaks to me so deeply. This is what I want to explore. Exactly. And exploring is important. I mean, you can watch all the porn in the world. And honestly, if you go to Pornhub or any of the sites and look up any specific kink, you can find it. But until you actually find a way to safely explore it yourself outside of just watching it, that's key because you may learn that there are some things about you that, uh, all right, well, maybe this idea wasn't the greatest before putting yourself out there and possibly putting yourself in harm's way or just, you know, danger in a sense. So, yeah, so actually, I think this is a good point to go over and start talking about the role playing game, because it's like I said, I I'm very excited about this. So there are a couple of other games out in the community that are kink related, however, not particularly educational, very much more, I guess, serving to an audience. So Alpha Blue is one of them. It's kind of a if you took Star Wars and every outer space trope and added super amounts of like kink to it and strippers, uh, that would be the game. However, while it's fun, it again doesn't particularly educate or do anything other than I'm going to play a game where I'm going to go chase, you know, men or women. James Despero just published, I think it was last year, Tales of Gore, which actually goes into the Gorian cycle as a role playing game. And I think the game does a really good job at it, portraying a fantasy game, if that's what you want to play. Either uh, Mistress Clarissa or, or Brandon, like whoever wants to speak. First, uh, let's talk about the role-playing game. And how was it created? Well, actually, at the time, being part of the King community, I would talk at length with Mistresses and uh, other dominants about the challenges that they would run into with newbies who were excited to get into the community, didn't really know how, and really had no idea what they were into yet. And the challenge was that they would, you know, as, as you know, watch lots of porn, have ideas from the porn as to how the storyline of their, their scene is going to play out. But the reality of BDSM, the reality of fetish is that it is a, an improvisational act. Everyone's living in that moment and acting off each other, which is not the same as a porno script. It's not this happens, then that happens, then that happens, then that happens, end. There is a natural flow that is generated between the different players involved. And so to give people that experience before they had gotten it in their head that they needed a certain specific storyline for their fetish to happen, I felt was a very important step in someone's growth as a BDSM or as a, a fetishist, as somebody who is exploring that aspect of their life. I would also like to interject, if I could, that there is so much overlap within the nerd community and, and BDSM and fetish. I mean, just look at um, Wonder Woman and her creator. Oh, yeah. Then the one of the only um, bloggers I've ever bought or any, any equipment that I actually bought with my own money that was made of uh, animal skin. I got, not at a BDSM convention, not at a BDSM store, but no, a gaming convention. <laughs> if, I don't remember even where it was, maybe Delaware, but it is absolutely gorgeous, handmade, I believe made out of elk. And it has a, uh, a gorgeous handle that's sculpted and kind of looks like a penis. <laughs> uh, it, it's just absolutely gorgeous. It's thick, it's lush, and it can be used to create different types of sensation from mild and massaging to uh, thud, what the F was that? <laughs> so it has so many different, different sensations packed into this one gorgeous piece of equipment made by an artist that I met. But... Look at our outfits. Uh, look at 
the community itself and the diversity within the community and what they are looking at, what they're attaching themselves to. Some people, this is the first time when they can play a character that is not their gender. They get to live through that. They get to see things, costumes that go, hey, I want to look like that or I want to see that. And now you look at the BDSM scene and it's like, wow, how did we not see this before? (laughs) How did we not see all the bondage in Batman? Of course we saw it, whether we were aware of it cognitively or it was under the surface and we just, it ticks our box without even realizing it. So this seemed like a very natural concept and it's accessible. So if you've never played uh, a game before, but or if you've never done actual BDSM, you can dip your foot in it. So it's like off-white vanilla uh, and it's a little bit kinky and there's not too much going on. Or if you're a hardcore player, whether a gaming hardcore player or hardcore in the scene and you're an extremist and you go into the edge play we got something in there for you for that as well all right so how does the game either so is it used to create a scene is it used to play out a scene so a little bit so and again a role-playing game has a, a large mechanical aspect to it so how does the mechanics of the game actually encourage the safety uh, or at least the experience of a bdsm scene Okay, well, let me address that in two separate thoughts. The first thought is the game actually separates out three different styles of gameplay for the the group that wants to play it. Um, You have the party game aspect, where you're literally doing a live action role play of what a BDSM fetish party would feel like. And so it becomes a play party or a BDSM club or a fetish ball. And then your characters are just interacting in that way, developing relationships, all the things that people really look, look forward to and enjoy in a social LARP. There's another aspect to it where the style of gameplay can be an actual adventure game um, where you're taking on a group of industrialists known as the extractors. And the way that you win isn't to blackmail them or extort them or anything like that. It's to help them find that inner thing that's driving them to be the asshole they are. In other words, they're somebody who, who was a closet crossdresser, but they've never experienced that aspect of themselves, which made them angrier and angrier as time went on, trying to conquer more of the world as time went on. And over the course of an adventure, the team gets that character to come out of that shell and finally be willing to embrace that aspect of themselves. And once they embrace that, they look at the rest of the things that they're doing that are evil and go, oh my God, this is a result of the pain this person is feeling. Now that this pain has been cured, they can cure these other things. Then there's also a third aspect of the game where you can do it as a more traditional fantasy game, Um, whether you have your own uh, home setting or the setting we provide where you can go into adding these fantasy elements, these BDSM elements. You're saying, okay, well, we want this medieval experience, but we really kind of want to make sure that we have, you know, torture scenes Mm -hmm. and some other more extreme elements playing off. I think for most people, when they first start, it's usually better to go with either the party game style or the adventure game style. Um, The adventure game allows you to have that storyline element to bring you from moment to moment to moment. So you have more moments for the, the characterization element of the role-playing as you're building up your character. Whereas the party game really allows you to get more into the play elements and forming those relationships with the people around you. Now, obviously, if you're doing the party game, you do want to have more people. You know, you can play BDSM fetish with anywhere from 3 to 15 people. Um, But I do find with the party game, you do want to go with more people there so you have more actual physical actors playing out the roles as opposed to having the narrator move in to take up these different roles because yes the narrator can definitely play all these different roles but it's always so much more visceral when you actually have a person you can turn to in the live action setting 
and actually have that verbal interaction with. I'm going to assume that you have uh, ran this at, I'm not going to say particularly game conventions, but perhaps at a, at a kink event or a lifestyle event. Oh, heck yes. We've done it at a couple of different kink events, and we've had a couple of regular games going on at some of the larger uh, BDSM houses oh. that are in the area. So that, that was a wonderful experience to get all different type of, types of kinksters to try it out, to get them to give us their feedback on the things they liked, the things they didn't like, and be able to uh, really tweak some of the gameplay elements to make sure that we're emphasizing the right notes as the person goes through that beginning of the game experience so they have a, a better flow and a much more empowered experience as the game progresses. Now, is this a game that is more, would you say, because you mentioned three aspects of it. Is it a game that is mostly party game in the sense that I'm only going to play this one time at an event or a club, or has it been designed where people can return and continue on, like just build off a scene? So maybe they built a scene off of the first session they did, but now they want to come back in. And I'm thinking now in a traditional RPG sense, are there characters that are created and then can learn more through the character? Or is it really kind of very LARP where you kind of create a persona and give yourself some points as to how you represent yourself? In that way, it's much more like a traditional TTRPG in that you have a created character. Um, you can either choose to use one of the template kits that gives you a, a quick intro into what like a, a dominant in this situation would be, what a submissive in this situation would be, how a fetishist is distinguished from those other two. But then there's also full character creation and character progression. It is a levelless system, so that way you are specializing in the things that you, you want for your character. There is a whole esoteric special trainings element where you can get new special abilities that are incredibly kinky and very, you know, almost hentai element mm, to the game. Mm -hmm. So that way you, you can really have some fun with it. So for example, for somebody who's into... Uh, horseplay or mounting play, where they they literally want to act as the physical mount for someone else. There's a whole set of upgrades that they can get for their submissive character to allow them to do all these cool things in game when they're acting as the mount for their dominant. Oh wow, <laughs> that that's actually really well thought out and and very cool. So how is it? So in the sense again, going that it can be done as a LARP, can be done as a traditional. Is it based on any sort of, for example, in LARP? using things like dice is near impossible most of the time. So you're either using hand signals or cards or holding up, you know, numbers for between one and 10. How do the mechanics play out in, in this game? Well, that's actually one of the reasons that I chose to use the uh, Time Shedders card-based rule set as the core for the skill mechanics and the combat mechanics for this game. Since it is a using a standard deck of playing cards, it really is as simple as having the narrator have that play playing deck on them. And anytime there's a moment when players, either in the LARP setting or in this traditional TTRPG setting, have that moment where they need to accomplish something, the narrator can pull those cards out right in that moment, have the quick one, two, three of the cards versus each other plus their modifiers, and then have an official answer within a few seconds of that interaction. So it doesn't bog down the LARPing, it doesn't bog down the role playing in the traditional TTRPG setting. In both cases, it allows the person to really have a good flow throughout their their storyline. In your experience running it, do you find that you get more actual lifestyle people or do you get a good percentage of vanilla people who are there just for maybe the day to experience something and then find this and then suddenly are, are drawn in? 
I actually find that when we're not at a specifically fetish event, if it's a non-fetish event, it is primarily people who are just excited to find out more about this. People who maybe have seen some porn online, maybe read something pornographic like the Sleeping Beauty series by Anne Rice, and they have certain ideas on what they're excited by, but they haven't really seen what it's like to experience this with other real people. And so this is a perfect opportunity for them to learn about consent, learn about hard limits, um, learn about what times things like humiliation are appropriate, what times there it isn't. And then also being able to navigate, and that's one of the aspects of the game, is teaching people to navigate that conversation with a potential partner of, hey, this is what I like. Do you like these things? Are these things you're into? Are these things you're not into? And be able to have a good idea of this person over here, we can go back and forth and flirt about all these different topics, and that's a-okay. -okay. They are not into any physical touch. No physical touch will happen. This other person doesn't want anything sexually going on, but they do want to be spanked in front of everyone else. So at some point during the game, they're going to want that to happen. And so those discussions and being able to build up that interaction in a consensual way, getting the feedback from someone as to what they really are looking for, means that you're not going to have those moments later on where anybody oversteps their bounds. And that's so important for a BDSM game experience. Oh, absolutely. And this actually leads us into our topic for today, too, just about the importance of consent. Because especially in a game where obviously you're going to have to have everyone at the table or everyone in the room uh, in consent with each other in order to, to go ahead and do this. So in the game itself, and we'll start kind of weaning off the game here in a second, but do you talk about whether it be negotiation or contract amongst people, or is that something really kind of advanced for what is trying to be conveyed in the game itself? Well, we do definitely go into those elements of negotiation. In fact, one of the first steps of character creation for every character at the table is them setting their hard limits. So that way it's very clear to the other people at the table what they're into and what they're not into. And that way it's also very clear for the narrator from the beginning of the game till the end of the game. These are the topics we'll talk about. These three topics we're going to avoid completely because there are people at the table who would be made uncomfortable by that. That's wonderful, especially since limits, soft or hard limits, sometimes you find that are a very hard topic to bring up, especially for people who are not 100% sure what that means or what those actually are. So th I think that's great that you address that right at the beginning of character creation is to really kind of talk about those because I think realistically, if, for example, you had a game and people in the game weren't part of a dynamic and decide to leave that game to start forming that dynamic, they could realistically then use their character sheets as part of that initial contract. Bingo. Exactly. And that was part of the reason that we wanted them to start with things like hard limits and other aspects of this fetish experience to understand what they're really telling each other. So that way the communication is clear. And that way, when they get to the point of agreement, it is not just consent, it's informed, enthusiastic consent. That is brilliant. <laughs> I'm just like, I just had my aha moment listening to that. And it just triggered in my brain. I'm going, wow, the character sheets are actually pretty much can be used as a contract if a dynamic is formed off of that initial game. That's beautiful. Thank you very much. The second thing we go into, and, and I feel especially when we were writing it, it's very important that we did, is the concept of gender and distinguishing gender from sexuality making it clear that we want to use the terminology that people find appropriate for themselves, as well as making sure that people understand that distinction between the way someone presents themselves versus the sexual things they're into. Especially in a world today where the restraints of the 1950s puritanical mindset is 
pretty much falling off as the days go on. And we're seeing a lot more empowerment amongst various communities. Just be able to state that and make that as part of what you're doing is great. And, you know, I'll just use this as a quick reference, but I was listening to some reports back from Gen Con, which is Mm -hmm. happening, I guess, this weekend, come to think of it. And there was a lot of talk about how the transgender communities were actually talking about how the staff of Gen Con has actually been really kind of not aware of uh, certain simple things like just using the bathroom or areas where to go. So it's, it is something that needs to be addressed for, you know, unfortunately, in a lot of our states and a lot of our communities out there in the U.S. and I'm sure worldwide, uh, we still have a lot of that. So, and I'll just kind of say it quickly is that the BDSM community to me is wonderful because it's the only community that I have been in that has been fully accepting. I mean, of course you have your people who are, you know, are, are not accepting no matter what you do, but you don't have to be a model. You don't, you know, you can be whoever you are and be accepted as who you are. And someone finds that attractive too. So it helps to dispel certain body, body stuff and imagery we have going on with our normal vanilla media that just says only one type of beauty exists and only one way of being exists. And that is the correct way of being. And here in the fetish and BDSM community, we're like, oh, oh, back that shit up because that's not really a thing and it is harmful. And we can see true beauty. We can see that only one type of beauty is not a thing. There are so many different variances, different body types, different, different forms of humanity that are gorgeous should be celebrated and should not be made to feel less than because there's no good reason for it other than maybe some nefarious people out outside of us that are making this decision for the rest of us. And we got to say, you know what? No, no, you, you go into the closet. That's where you belong. The rest of us, no, we, we're going to celebrate ourselves. We're going to be kinder. We're going to be more accepting. And I think this is where, going back to what we we're talking about, is where the education really comes in. And believe me, I'm sold. This game is, in my mind now, just becoming something that I really want to talk about with others. Because if, you know, and especially in a lot of the groups I belong to in communities of people who are just starting or, on a, you know, unsure if they even belong here, this would be, all right, here's the link. Check this out. This is something that you should at least read. If, if not, get together with some of the other people who also have similar interests in your community, you know, and basically even just try to go through one of the aspects of the game, you know, and we're just talking about projection of body and, and how we think. Again, because of the fact that we don't have a lot of education out there within the vanilla community, you get a lot of, you know, the term fake dom comes up a lot, who will latch yeah. onto somebody, uh, a submissive. They're not even aware of what that relationship means when that bond is formed. And they're going to sit there and just be judgmental and like, oh, you're not that beautiful and you're horrible. And that hurts more than it does to a submissive. That hurts a lot more than if you just went to another vanilla because another vanilla might turn around and go, you know, fuck you. (laughs) But but a submissive is going to take that in, internalize it and suddenly become less in the mass in the person that she sees as her dom or her master so it's again that education is key we can't conflate bullying or narcissism or socio or psychopathy misogyny or misandry for dominance for ds play 
it is just trying to hide and co-opt us. And we have to be vigilant against that and protect people within the community. All right. Well, we're, we're kind of coming uh, down to time now. So I just want to go ahead and give each of you a chance to give some final thoughts and where they can find you on the web, where if you have any resources that you have that you want to make available. This is the maiden episode of this. So I'm really excited to have both of you on as my first guests. And, uh, you know, so we'll put stuff in the show notes. So if people want to refer back or find a link that they needed to find, you know, th- this has been great. So we'll start with uh, Mistress Clarissa. Anything you want to say as uh, final thoughts to this and where where people can find you? Well, you can go to my website, mclarissa.com, Dominionist Manifesto. You can find me on FetLife as Mistress Clarissa, one word. You can find me on the Twitter. I am the Mistress Clar, C-L-A-R. You can find me on the IG, and that's Ms. Klar, M-I-Z-C-L-A-R, a.k.a. Apocalyclectic. That uh, showcases some of my jewelry, uh, my apocalyptic writing, fiction, and uh, furniture, as well as my cosplay. So it's, it's slightly more vanilla, but if you know who I am, you know this is not vanilla, <laughs> and I'm talking to a certain type of person. But you can find me in those places as well as Tumblr, uh, Apoc Eclectic. All right. Awesome. And Brandon, where where can we find you? And I've experienced your work, so definitely I'm a a fan. But those out there who have not had the experience yet, where, where can they find you? And any last thoughts? Well, definitely you can find all of the new products we're working on at wisdomvault.us. If you'd like to see any of the older products, uh, the Dark Refuge products, the product line, you can come to darkrefuge.net. And final thoughts, I'd just say that I'm incredibly proud that we can give people this safe, sane, informed, consensual introduction to this lifestyle, because I do feel that it allowing people to connect to this core part of themselves allows them to be a more full and happy human being in the long run. And we need more of that, not these people who hate themselves and then lash out at others. We need more kindness. It was wonderful talking to both of you. I think we we also share a lot of the same mindset about the community, about, you know, kink and, well, obviously gaming. So let me go ahead. Stronger together. No, definitely. So if you have feedback on this episode, questions you'd like to ask us or game suggestions, send them on over to alternative-play.com or check us out on the web. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Alternative Play. And remember... Dragons are not the only thing that play in dungeons. Keep your gaming fun, safe, and consensual, and have a good one. Thank you for listening to Alternative Play. Alternative Play is an attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international creative commons work. You may share it with whomever you like, so long as you don't sell or modify it. Remember, there is a whole world of play out there. Live it and love it.